Have you ever tried to, to do something new and had the experience that of, of being so frustrated because you know exactly what you want to do, but you just can't make your mind and body do that thing? And so we're going to talk about today how to move past that. That's Josh Kaufman, author of The First 20 Hours, How to Learn Anything Fast. He spoke at the Aspen Ideas Festival about rapid skill acquisition for adults. This is Aspen Ideas To Go from the Aspen Institute. I'm Trisha Johnson. We bring you compelling talks from the Aspen Ideas Festival and other public events presented by the Aspen Institute. Author Josh Kaufman has created a recipe for how to pick up a new skill in a month. He's proof of its success. He learned how to windsurf, play an ancient Chinese board game, program a computer, and strum the ukulele. Each skill was acquired in 30 days. In order to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, you only need to know three chords. Kaufman learned to play the ukulele using books, but quickly realized he could do more than play a simple song. And so the early hours of practice were figuring out how to strum and switch chords at the same time until it was automatic enough that I could do something else when I was doing it which was singing. Twinkle, twinkle, In this talk, Kaufman explains why adults put off learning something they've always wanted to learn and how to get past those barriers. He reveals the process he's developed for quick learning. Later in the show, we catch up with Kaufman over Skype and ask how others have used his advice and what's next on his list of things to learn. First, here's Kaufman at the Aspen Ideas Festival. I am the author of two books, but I don't spend most of my time writing. I spend most of my time researching. And the things that I try to research are areas of life that are extremely important, but that are overlooked and undervalued for whatever reason. And there are lots of areas like this in, in life, and so I have a lot of work to do. And uh, five years ago, I became very interested in the process of skill acquisition. What does it take to learn something new? What does it take to do something that you've never done before? And so, like any good researcher, I uh, went to the library, and uh, I started reading psychology and cognitive science journals which is exactly as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> and I learned a lot. And what we're going to talk about today uh, are a few very simple methods that you can use to speed up the learning process to do what you want to do. And it really doesn't matter what the skill is. It could be something for your work, something for your career. It could be something that you do for fun. Uh, something that you've wanted to do for a very long time, but you just haven't gotten around to yet. So I want you to take a moment and just think to yourself, what is that thing in the back of your mind that you've always wanted to do? Just picture that in your mind. Now, play in your head all of the objections that are coming up to why you haven't done that thing yet. <laughs> right? We all have them. And in my experience, these, these objections come into two categories. The first is, I'm busy. I'm really busy. Work is stressful. I have more things to do than I possibly can do. I have a family. Uh, I have kids. I have 
uh, social commitments, I have community commitments, I don't have enough hours in the day to sit down and learn that thing. The second is because it feels difficult. It feels hard. It feels like this thing that we want to do is impossible. And not impossible in in the you can't physically get yourself to do it. It feels impossible emotionally. Right? Have you ever tried to, to do something new and had the experience that of, of being so frustrated because you know exactly what you want to do, but you just can't make your mind and body do that thing? That happens all the time. And so we're going to talk about today how to move past that, how to move past I'm busy, and how to move past I'm so frustrated I don't know what to do to actually do the things that we, that we want. And one of the things that, that is really interesting in, in working on this project at this time in my life I have two young kids. Leela is four and a half. Uh, she's currently working on, in her words, being the politest girl in the world, uh, which, which I approve of. It's fantastic. And uh, my son, Nathan, is uh, just shy of two. And so he's just going, going through, uh, in some instances, and has gone through, in, in some others, the process of learning how to walk, which is fascinating. Have you ever watched a child go through the entire process of learning how to walk? The, the, the first thing that they try to do is it starts when they're on their stomach and they lift their head off of the ground and they look around. And it doesn't look like much, but that's the very first step in being able to get up off the floor and take a step. So they pull up and maybe grab a chair or a mom and dad and pull up some more and they're wobbly. And it takes some time to get balance, right? But doing that long enough, they get that balance. And they're they're able to consolidate their muscle movements in a way that allows them to stand. And then stand without support. And then take a step. And when they take that first step, it's really exciting. And then they fall. Now, can you imagine a toddler just taking their first step? and falling to the ground and saying to themselves, wow, I am really not talented at walking. I should really figure out something else because this isn't going to work. Right? Kids don't do that. They don't do that. And uh, what's interesting in, in learning about how children learn and learning how adults learn, adults are very self-conscious. We're all very, very, very scared. When we go through the process of of learning something new, we're scared that we're going to be terrible. We're scared that it's not going to work. We're scared that that it's going to take forever. We're scared that somebody is going to look at our current level of ability, and they're going to think less of us because we can't do it yet. And so the process of, of... speeding up your ability to learn how to do something new that you've never done before. It's not exactly what you would think. Because the good news is we're all smart enough. The challenge in going through the skill acquisition process is not intellectual. We're all smart enough to learn how to learn quickly. 
The real barrier is the emotional part. <coughs> Getting out of ourselves just enough to actually go through the process of learning something new. So the key in understanding how to go through this process is first to realize that you can do it. This is something that you can do. This is something that you can decide to learn something, whatever it is, whether it's something for work or something for fun. And knowing what the barriers are in advance, knowing that you're going to be frustrated, knowing that you're going to be scared, knowing that it's not going to work the first time, that gives us an advantage. And the advantage is this. We can use that foreknowledge of what we're going to experience going through the process to create a strategy. We can decide how we're going to learn. And we can set up the learning process in a way that's going to allow us to learn very, very quickly. That's the advantage that adults have over children. Children brute force everything, right? Get up off the ground, take a step, fall. Eh, no big deal. Get up and do it again. Because we're self-conscious, it's a little bit harder for us to get started. And it's a little bit harder for us to keep going. But because we're adults and we have foreknowledge and we have foresight and we can create a strategy, we have many advantages in the learning process. And we can set up the process from the beginning to create results in a very, very short period of time. So first, it helps to understand why we learn, or why we choose to learn things. The couple reasons that are most common, the first is utility, right? We learn things because we want to use it for something. Uh, so for example, it's summertime you may want to learn how to cook on the grill, right? That's a skill. It's something you can practice. It's something that you can get better at. But the reason that you want to learn it is utility. You want to use it to create a particular result. And that's really what skills are, right? You want to, to act in a certain way to produce a result in the real world. The second is enjoyment. We do things for fun. A lot of the things that are most enjoyable in our lives, uh, whether it's whitewater kayaking or fishing or playing sports, there's a skill component. And the faster we get better at the skill component, the more enjoyable that thing becomes. And sometimes we are just curious about something. And exploring that curiosity, going out into the world and, and seeing something new, uh, or, or looking into something that we've always had an interest in but, but haven't really put any time or effort into, that's one of the great joys of life. And making the process of being curious and exploring the world makes it much more fun. And if you get good at it, allows you to explore many more things than you otherwise would. And so one of the things that helps in setting about this process of learning something quickly 
is realizing that you don't have to be an expert to enjoy something or to get use out of something. It's okay to start at the beginning, which in my experiences is one of those things that uh, we as adult learners have a really hard time with. We want to be really, really great, and we want to be really, really great instantly. And the analogy that I like to use uh, for, for this is imagine that you are standing at the bottom of a very tall ladder. And you look up at the top and you say, I want to be at the top of that ladder, but the only way I'm going to move in the first place is if I can instantly teleport myself up to the very top of that ladder, right? If I can't, I'm not going to move. It's not worth it, right? We do that a lot. And so when we pick up something new, it's very, very tempting to want to be an expert, to want to be perceived as somebody who is really, really good when that becomes a detriment in a lot of cases. Uh, there was a book that came out a number of years ago, you, uh, most of you have probably heard of. Uh, it was by Malcolm Gladwell. The book was called Outliers. And uh, one of the main takeaways from Outliers is, is what was called the 10,000-hour rule. Right? It takes 10,000 hours to master a skill, or so it goes. And what's interesting about that is both how widely it's known Right? It seems like everybody has heard about the 10,000-hour rule. But nobody really understands it or understand the research that went into where that number came from. And so the genesis of, of that particular piece of, of research uh, was a uh, gentleman by the name of Kay Anders Erickson, and he studies... Uh, skill acquisition, but for a very particular subset of people, expert level performers. So if you are a concert cellist, if you are a professional basketball player, if you are an Olympic weightlifter, if you're at the very, very top of a very, very narrow competitive field, that's who uh, Dr. Uh, Erickson was researching. And the upshot of that research was this. If you work on something as your full-time job for a period of seven to 10 years, and you practice every day with the very best professional support that you possibly can get, you'll be really, really good. Makes sense. It really does make sense. And the, the order of magnitude, so the, the, the people, so all of these elite performers, the people who are at the very top, no surprise, were the people who practiced the most. And the people who practiced the most practiced around 10,000 hours. Okay, great. As far as that research goes, it's a very, very well-documented, well-researched phenomenon. Here's the thing. The 10,000-hour rule does not apply to us. There may be a few exceptions in this crowd. I would bet on that. But the vast majority of us aren't training to be elite-level performers in an ultra-competitive field. 
We're learning things because we want to use them or because we want to enjoy them. And so there's an enormous amount of freedom in understanding that when we learn something new, you do not have to be an expert. All you need to do is decide what it is that you want to get out of the thing that you want to practice. And then you focus on doing that as effectively and efficiently as possible. And effectively means that everything that we put into the, the practice process, we want it to go towards that end result. We want it to get us better to be able to perform in the way that we want. And we want our practice to be efficient. We don't want to have wasted motion. We don't want to have wasted effort. And so the good news from all of the psychological research, including the, the research that went into the 10,000-hour rule, is this. There's a very well-documented phenomena in cognitive science and psychology that's usually called the power law of learning. And the power law of learning appears over and over and over. It's one of the most replicable things in all of the research about how we learn to acquire new skills. And it says this, the rate of improvement of any skill is always the fastest at the beginning. And this result is so strong that there was one, one researcher in a study that, that I was reading that said, if this result does not appear in a skill acquisition study, throw out the data because it's wrong. We always learn fastest at the beginning, which is great, which means the, the early part of the learning process is the most effective, is the most efficient if we can get ourselves to practice. So that's the trick. If we get ourselves to practice, we will learn quickly, particularly if we go about practicing in a smart way. But it's the getting ourselves to practice bit that's the challenging part. And so when I was going through this research, one of the things that I try to do is take all of these bits and pieces of information that are, that are floating around the web, floating around academia, floating around in journals, and make them into something. Make them into a process that we can use to get a better result. And so as a result of this research, I created a system, created a process that is universal. So it will apply to any skill. Doesn't matter if it's a physical skill, mental skill, something for work, something for fun. It applies to it all. What happens at, in the early phases of skill acquisition when you're doing something new that you're not familiar with, when you start, you're terrible. And the first couple times that you try it, you're terrible, but maybe a little bit better. But it doesn't take very long for another try to, to create a huge increase in your, uh, your relative skill level for that particular skill. And so the early phase is always the most effective and efficient type of practice. And then what happens is we, we hit our uh, good old friend diminishing returns. So we get really, really good up to a certain point, and then progress becomes really, really slow. And every little bit of improvement is, is very hard one. And so the elite performers of the world, they're way out on the point of diminishing returns. And they're just trying to eke out one little millionth of a percent of an improvement because that may be enough to win.
So the good news is we, don't, we never have to get out that far. We can go through the early phase of skill acquisition and get what we want to out of the skill without a whole lot of time. And so here's the process. Here's what I recommend for that thing that you have in the back of your mind that you've, you've always wanted to learn how to do. The first part of the process, everybody taking notes? The first part of the process is to decide what you want. And it sounds really simple, and it sounds really easy, and this is the point of the process where the vast majority of people who try to learn something quickly fail because they don't really decide what they want to be able to do at the end of this thing. So let's take a classic example of something uh, people like to learn, languages. Very common goal, I want to learn to speak French. Awesome. What does that mean? Because that's a really, really, really big area to cover, right? How well do you want to speak French? What do you want to do with it? Most people don't get specific enough about what they want to do. And so if you don't have a tangible, concrete, specific end state in mind, you're handicapping yourself. So choosing, to, choosing, deciding to do something specific is the very first step of the process. It's the core of everything that comes later. Now the second part, once you've decided what you want, is to deconstruct the skill into smaller parts. And this is one of the fascinating things about the types of skills that, that most people want to acquire or aspire to acquire. They're usually not one skill. They're a bundle of lots of smaller subskills that are all used in combination. And the classic example here is golf, right? Golf is not one thing. It's like 10,000 things, right? And so breaking this huge complex game into smaller parts gives you something that you can actually practice. And whenever you break a complex skill into smaller parts, what you'll find, if you do a little research, is some of those parts are used all the time, and some of those parts are used almost never. So for golf, every tee, you're going to use a driver, right? You're going to use a putter, and you're probably going to use something in between. And so if you focus your practice in the early hours on those fundamentals, the things that you are going to use the vast majority of your time doing the skill, the investment into those core fundamentals is going to give you a greater return than anything else. So the key is to take whatever you want, try to break it down into smaller parts, and then do just a little bit of research to figure out which of those parts you're going to use all the time and which of those parts you're going to use almost never. Now, one caution here. Uh, research can be fun, and it can also be very distracting. Research is not practice. The goal of this whole process is to get into practicing as quickly as we possibly can. And so too much research is actually a subtle form of procrastination. It's very enticing. Uh, 
in the process of, of putting together uh, this, this system, I don't like to teach things unless I, I know for certain that they work. And so one of the requirements uh, for this, this project of mine was I was going to put together the system and then I was going to try it on all, all sorts of things. And so I learned uh, computer programming. I learned how to play the ukulele, which we'll get to in a second. I learned how to windsurf. I learned how to play the ancient Chinese board game Go, which is fascinating. I retrained myself to touch type on a brand new keyboard, which was way weird. Uh, it's, it's kind of fun to feel your mind rebelling against something that you're trying to do like actively. Uh, but when I was going through the process of learning programming, I wanted to, you know, it seems pretty straightforward, like go to the library, look up online, buy a book on how to program. Okay, good enough. Uh, I was about 12 books into buying a how to program book <laughs> before I realized that I was actually just procrastinating. I hadn't read any of them. Um, and then also uh, be very, very wary in the research phase of saying, I'm going to go through this whole tutorial, resource, program, whatever, and then I'll get to the practice bed. That's not the point of research. The most effective form of research, actually, uh, you pick up a couple of resources on the topic. So let's say you want to learn how to golf, for example. Pick up three books or three DVDs on golfing. And here's the key. You don't go through any of them in their entirety. What you do is you go through each of them very, very quickly, and you notice what they all have in common. <laughs> because the most eff effective fundamental sub-skills of, of, of that particular skill that you're trying to learn, it's going to appear over and over and over in all of the resources that you pick up. It's a very efficient form of research. And so you can identify the most important subskills that you should learn first in about an hour, maybe two, of research. It's very fast. And it's great because it ensures that you're practicing the most important things first. Now, once you've figured out what to practice first, the next step is, is what I call removing barriers to practice, which is essentially anything that gets in the way of you sitting down in your chair or going to wherever it is that you need to go to practice and actually doing the practice. And so any form of distraction or any form of interruption or barrier that, that prevents you from going through and completing the practice is what you want to get rid of. So many skills require equipment. You can't play a ukulele unless you have a ukulele to play, right? Can't play tennis unless you have a tennis racket. So get your tools. Make sure you know where they are. Uh, make sure you have everything that you need before you sit down and start practicing. And then block as many distractions as you can. Block the internet. Close the door. Turn off the TV. Turn off your phone, send your kids to their room, whatever you need to do 
Any distraction that you can get rid of is good. Because when we're distracted in the, in the process of, of practicing something that's very intense, it's very difficult to get back into whatever it is that we were doing. So preventing those distractions is the very best thing that you can do. Here's the last part. And this is why this method is called the first 20 hours. You pre-commit to practicing for at least 20 hours. And that's a rough equivalent of 40 minutes every day for about a month. Not get up to 45 to give yourself a little wiggle room. The time, 20 hours, there's nothing magical about the number. It's an order of magnitude. What I found is the vast majority of people who go through this process will get the results that they're looking for within the 20-hour window. Sometimes it takes the whole period. Sometimes it only takes four or five hours. But what you'll find is the first usually one to four hours are extremely frustrating. And then you start making a lot of progress around hours five, six, seven, eight. And so the pre-commitment, deciding that you're going to go through the entire process before you start in the first place, does a couple of very interesting things from a behavioral psychology standpoint. The first is it's a great litmus test. Is this thing that you want to learn really important enough in the first place to rearrange your schedule? to find 40 minutes a day, to decide not to do other stuff in favor of practicing this thing that you want to do. And if it's not, it's better to know that in advance before you start practicing than to start practicing, feel or get distracted, feel really terrible and horrible about yourself for not following through in your commitment. I heard uh, from one of my readers who is going through uh, the process of learning how to play the piano. He goes, I feel, I'm feeling really bad because I stopped practicing. Well, why, why did you stop practicing? It's like, oh, my wife and I had a baby. <laughs> That's a good reason. Like, you're allowed to make things that should be a priority a priority. But if you're not willing to, at the very beginning, say, I'm going to rearrange my schedule and choose not to do other things in favor of this thing that I want to work on, then it's a pretty good litmus test that it may not be important enough in the first place. And you can drop it without feeling guilty, which is awesome. Nobody needs more shame and guilt, right? The second important thing that the 20-hour period does is going back to what we were talking about earlier, the frustrations that we all feel. We know at the beginning that it's going to feel really, really hard. It's going to be tough. We're going to not be happy. But we also know that if we continue practicing, that that phase is temporary. It's a barrier that we need to break through. I like calling it the frustration barrier. Right? You need to practice long enough so the practice itself stops being frustrating and starts becoming fun. And the best way to do that is to pre-commit to practicing for a certain period of time. And 20 hours is a really good period of time to pre-commit to. And the wonderful thing that that allows you to do in your head when you're frustrated and when everything is terrible, you can say to yourself, you know what? I'm really not good right now. But that doesn't matter. I'm going to keep going. 
if I'm terrible, then I'm going to be terrible for 20 hours. And that's at the end of that period, I can stop and I can figure out if this is something important, uh, if I should do something else, if I can change my strategy. I can choose anything, but I'm going to complete the 20 hours no matter what. And what usually happens is the first couple hours are torture, and then you start making progress. And when you start making progress, you start getting excited, and it starts becoming fun, and the remaining hours of practice are way easier and way more rewarding. And at the end, you're left with being able to do that thing that you've always wanted to do. Yes, sir? What about lessons versus practice? Ah, lessons versus practice. Or research. So, here's how I like to use lessons. Um, so, a good teacher, if you decide to, to do lessons from the beginning, a great teacher can help you do the deconstruction. Ideally, they do it for you. So, they can tell you, Okay, welcome to golf. We're going to work on A, B, C before we do anything else. That's deconstruction. It helps a lot. Now, from a personal preference standpoint, usually when you work with somebody who is uh, more skilled than you are, a lot of times that's costly. It's costly in terms of money. So if you're paying an instructor, it's costly in terms of time too. And so one of the things uh, in, in pursuing a new skill that I like to do is do a period of 20 hours before you talk to an instructor. And what that helps you do is understand what you're doing, how it works, terminology, tools, and start to get a little bit of technique before you start talking to somebody who can help you fine tune things. We've been talking about all of this in theory. So how about an example? Um, you may have saw in the program, I did indeed bring my ukulele. This is one of the things that I, uh, or one of the skills that I picked up in the process of, of putting together uh, this, this system. And um, I, have, I had, before this point, never played a stringed instrument. Uh, so no prior experience, didn't know what I was doing, ordered a ukulele off Amazon, and away we go. And so the critical tools, I got my ukulele. You see up here, uh, there's a, uh, a black piece of plastic. That's a tuner. And so if you're going to play any stringed instrument, you want to make sure that your instrument is in tune. And you have to learn what notes or what pitches each string needs to be. So on a ukulele, that's G, C, E, A. And it'll tell you if, if the string is a little high or a little low, and you can adjust it accordingly. Okay, great. Sounds good. So one of the very first things that I did when I was learning how to play the ukulele was I picked up three ukulele books. And I leafed through them. And what I had decided in advance, um, I played trumpet in high school. and. I liked the instrument, except for you can't really sing and play the trumpet at the same time. <laughs> Doesn't work. And so I always wanted to play an instrument that I could sing with, because that's just fun. So 
I flipped through my ukulele books, and I decided what I wanted to do, I wanted to be able to play a song and sing at the same time. That was it. Um, I call that a target performance level. So I, I, um, my bullseye is here. And if I can do that thing, I've hit the bullseye. And so I flipped through my ukulele books, and I found uh, that all of them started in the same place when it came to playing songs. And uh, we'll actually start with a song that everybody knows. Uh, it's Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Right? So in order to play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, you only need to know three chords. And uh, for, for those of you that aren't aware, a chord is a particular combination of strings or pitches that sound really great together. So it's the instrument accompanying itself, essentially. And so in order to play a chord on the ukulele, you press down on the frets, not on the frets. That was a mistake I made early on. You press between the frets, which is very important. And you only need to know three chords to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Okay, and the chords are C, F, and G. That's it, three chords. And so the early hours of practice, right? Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Now, that gets boring really fast. <laughs> it's necessary, you have to do it. Because a large part of learning how to play an instrument, um, instruments are what's called motor skills. You're learning how to, to move your body in a particular way and uh, move different parts of your body in coordination. And so learning when I was thinking I need to play an F chord in my head, I needed to make my body do a particular thing. And so those Boring hours of practice were fundamental because learning how to play the chord lets me play the chord whenever I want to in the future. But it gets boring, and so how do you make it more interesting? You add something on top of it. And so what I was doing here was strumming, right? Hitting, hitting all of the strings at the same time. You can make that more interesting by adding what's called a strumming pattern. So you can layer those two on top of each other and do them both at the same time while you're switching chords. We're getting fancy now. <laughs> Strumming pattern and switching chords. Okay. And then what's interesting when you're going through the process of, of learning a motor skill is when you first start to do it, you have to think really hard about it. It's like, okay, what, what strings do I need to press down on to play a C chord? That take, that's slow. It takes a lot of time. But the more you do it, your brain has this really, really cool process called consolidation, where it takes all of the things that you've learned over the course of the day, and it writes that into your long-term memory. And you do that enough, and your body can start to do that automatically. And so the early hours of practice were figuring out how to strum and switch chords at the same time until it was automatic enough that I could do something else when I was doing it, which was singing. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. 
So doing it all at the same time. Now that gets boring after a while too. Right? There's more exciting stuff that you can do. And one of the, the, the ways to play fancier songs on the ukulele is to do what's called finger picking, which is essentially playing a chord, but you're not strumming all of the strings at the same time. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Sounds a lot fancier, right? I'm playing the same chords. It's the same thing. And so getting to this point, it's like, all right, I know three chords. What can I do with that besides play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? Um, as it turns out, you can play lots of children's songs. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Or, uh, thank you. <laughs> That's my favorite. Uh, if, if you uh, have small children in the household, either your children or grandchildren, this is a song, la la la, Elmo's song. It's the same thing. Three chords. Um, but when you look into how songs work, there are hundreds, sometimes thousands of songs that use the same basic chord structure. So you learn how to play the chord structure, and you learn how to play not just one song, but all of the thousands of songs that use that structure. And so one of the songs that I wanted to play, like many beginning ukulele players. Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high. Somewhere over the rainbow. It's a great, great song. So I learned how to play that song, and that required only learning two more chords. So we already knew how to play G, knew how to play C, so we just added two more. D. Sounds nice. Then get a little funky here. E minor. So now we know how to play five chords. And knowing how to play those chords opens the door to playing thousands and thousands and thousands of songs. And so you start to look at, at some of the, the songs that are popular on the radio. So somewhere over the rainbow, the, the uh, ukulele version has been out, what, 15 years now, something like that? Um, there's just a song a year and some change ago. Well, you only need the light when it's burning low. Only miss the sun when it starts to snow. Only know your lover when you let it go. Same song. <laughs> it's the same song. Uh, you're, you're just doing the chords in a very particular way, and learning one helps you do the other. Now, um, let's see how deep this rabbit hole goes. How, just how many songs? So this four chord structure, G, D, E minor, C. How many songs can we play with that? A lot. Just a small town girl. Living in a lonely world She took the midnight train going anywhere I heard that you settled down That you found a girl That you're married now 
Every night in my dreams I see you, I feel you That is how I know we'll go on Let it go, let it go Can't hold it back anymore Cause I can't live with or without you when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Sometimes I feel like I don't have a partner. No woman, no cry. My mama, the surely is a dream. I come from a London under. Once a jolly swag man camped by a billabong. Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. But here's my number. So, so call me. Hey, sexy lady. Whoop, 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 Gangnam Style. Thank you. You know my favorite one of those? Old MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O. So you learn how to play Old MacDonald, and you have like thousands of songs nailed. It's great. So that's a good example of both deconstruction Right? We're breaking this global skill of learn how to play the ukulele into small parts that are all very approachable. You learn how to do the fundamentals, and the fundamentals leads to something just one step more advanced. So it's not easy, but it's doable. You practice that for a while, you move on to the next thing, and then you move on to the next thing. Thank you so much. You've been great. That's author and quick learner Josh Kaufman speaking at the Aspen Ideas Festival in 2015. People around the world have used Kaufman's process to learn something new. He goes into what skills people have picked up, how much education is needed to apply his advice, and whether children can use it. Here's my conversation with Kaufman via Skype. How are you? Thanks for joining me. I am wonderful. Thanks for the invitation. Have you observed others adopting your rapid skill acquisition advice? What did they learn? Was it successful? One of the best parts about this project in general is just hearing the stories of people who have taken the method and done something with it. And so it's, it, I, there, are, there are a lot of stories, just a, a few of my favorites. Um, I'm actually on my desk right now. I just received a letter uh, from Maurice, who's a PhD candidate at Cambridge. And uh, he was having trouble learning uh, a complicated statistics programming language that he had to use for his PhD dissertation and uh, was having a lot of trouble with it. And so he, um, he picked up the book and learned the method and applied it uh, to this programming language, which is called R. And uh, he said not only was he able to learn it, but it doubled his productivity and his research in general, which was very fun to hear. Because the method is general, it's, it's very difficult for me to predict what people are, are going to use it for. So uh, instruments are, are very popular. Um, I just heard from uh, a lady named uh, Malawa in Lagos uh, who just learned how, how to play the piano after wanting to learn how to play the piano for 10 years. And uh, she can play two, two songs now. There's also a, a gentleman named uh, Cordaro who learned how to play the cello in 20 hours and posted a video on YouTube. And he's really good. <laughs> Languages are also very popular. So, so a lot of stories of people who are traveling someplace on vacation, they don't know anything about the language. They decided to, to pick up the essentials so, so they could, um, could get around. And then some, some very 
random ones. Another video on YouTube, uh, a lady named Rachel learned poi, which I was not familiar with. Um, it's actually a performance art that originated in New Zealand where you swing weights on strings and you do all sorts of complicated patterns in front of your face and behind your back and and you keep two of these weighted strings going uh, at the same time. And she learned how to do that in 20 hours and and by the end she was really good. That, that's that's the fun part. It's It's seeing this very general method of, of learning a new skill and just watching people all over the world use the method to learn all sor sorts of new and interesting and useful and fascinating things. Is there a certain level of education needed to apply your suggestions? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I think um, a certain level of, of um, skill in things like reading would definitely be helpful. Um, but Really, all you need to to have is an interest in the skill and um, and, and a desire for a particular outcome. Um, so you know the the old well-worn cliche where there's a will, there's a way. if If there's something that you want to learn, um, there's not really very much background that you need. Um, that said, having an education and a base of other skills can can help you definitely help you acquire new skills. So um one of the things that I talk about in the first twenty hours is, most complex skills are, are not just one skill. They're actually a bundle of much smaller subskills. And so the more other things you know how to do, the easier it is to take what you're learning right now and then see the similarities in other things that you already know how to do. And so a broad base of skills can actually make acquiring a new skill much easier. Is this rapid skill acquisition advice just for adults? Or can kids use it too? Um, so the the general method applies to everyone, uh, kids and adults. Um, I designed the method primarily for adults because adults, um, for lack of a better phrase, need more help. Um, the The wonderful thing about kids is is they are, or they tend to be um, much less self conscious in the process of of learning something new uh, than adults do. So, for example. Uh, my daughter, Leela, is, is now five and a half, and she's learning how to play the piano. And it's wonderful to, to watch as, as she's learning this from scratch because every new thing that she is capable of doing, the biggest smile on her face. She gets so much joy being able to do something new that she's never been able to, to do before. Um, even if it's learning how to play a song that, that in an objective sense is, is relatively simple, in, in the scope of all songs that can be played on the piano. Um, adults have a much more difficult time separating themselves from what they know skill to look like. So for an adult learning piano, um, it would be very tempting to not feel good about yourself until you can play some very complex piano concerto. You've said your suggestions don't lead to mastering a new skill. So at what point do you know that a new skill has been gained? So the, the method starts with deciding exactly what you want to be able to do and defining in very specific terms what that level of performance looks like. And so, um, for example, one of the things um, uh, about two years ago, I decided that I wanted to learn how to, to uh, cook food on the grill, uh, which I had done a couple times but wasn't very good at. And so at that point, the level of... Um, capability that I was looking for was was actually was pretty modest. I just wanted to cook 
hamburgers and steaks on a grill without burning them into charcoal. And so that became the target performance level. Can I consistently cook dinner on the grill without, uh, without burning it? Um, and that didn't really take a, a very long time to do. Now, um, I am not a Michelin-rated chef, and I probably will never be. Uh, but the same, if, if that was a goal, the exact same approach would help me level up and level up and level up and level up until the objective level of skill that I've acquired is really objectively impressive. So that's the thing that I, I really like about this method in general. It breaks something that can be mind-bendingly complex into a very simple process where you define the goal, you figure out how to get there, you invest the time to get there, and then when you reach that level of skill, you have the option to do the exact same thing. You just pick another performance level, um, break it down, define it, work on it, get to that point. And it's, it's, it's just like climbing a ladder. One rung at a time, you just keep getting better and better and better and better, all the way up to mastery, if that's what you choose. What are the craziest skills you've heard about people learning? There was a... Um, a gentleman who learned how to fly an airplane by himself in 20 hours. And uh, he, d he did it safely, so under the guidance of an instructor, um, but he specifically set the goals. I want to learn how to fly this airplane by myself, and um, there are regulations, so he had to do the book work. He counted that separately. But from never flying before to his first solo flight takeoff and landing uh, was, was around the 20-hour mark, which was just very impressive. What are you learning right now or working on next? One of the things that I've been working on, actually since I started uh, First 20 Hours as a project, is uh, computer programming. And so this is um, something where um, my first 20 hours was just figuring out what was going on and, and launching my first program that did something real. Um, in the three and a half years uh, since I, I published um, First 20 Hours, I've actually continued moving up the ladder of programming. So I, I run a business. My whole business runs on software that I wrote myself. And uh, I get a, a lot of joy out of that. I have a list of things that I want to learn a mile long. So uh, one of the things on, on the more artistic side of things um, that I'm, I'm planning to work on in, in the next several months is um, Japanese brush painting, which, which I just love the look of. I, I do not have artistic inclinations, but it's something that I, I've wanted to do for a very long time. So uh, the, the box with all the brush pens just came, and uh, I'm planning on tackling that next. Thank you for joining me. Thanks. That's Josh Kaufman. He's the author of The First 20 Hours, How to Learn Anything Fast. He spoke at the Aspen Ideas Festival in 2015. Coming up next week, FBI Director James Comey talks about how Apple's refusal to unlock the iPhone of a terrorist stimulated a marketplace for hackers and raised big questions about the price of privacy. We have a problem where all of us share a set of values that are in conflict, and we have to figure out how to resolve privacy and security on the Internet and on our devices with public safety, and they're crashing into each other in terrorism cases and really all the work the FBI does. And I don't know exactly what the answer is, but we need an answer. Comey also talks about the likelihood of another Brussels-like attack and Hillary Clinton's emails. That's next week on the podcast. <music> Make
Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, Aspen Ideas To Go, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, rate the show. It helps spread the word about the podcast. Discover more about the Aspen Ideas Festival at aspenideas.org. Follow the festival year-round on Twitter and Facebook at Aspen Ideas. I'm Trisha Johnson, Editorial Director of Public Programs at the Aspen Institute. Thank you for listening. Thank you.